Welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 140. Thanks for listening. Welcome back everybody. We're doing it after dark this time. Ooh. Recording this episode very late on a Friday. Not my usual recording time, uh, but I've got some things coming up that necessitated an early recording so that I could get the show out to you, people. Of course, it's also possible that I'm recording this show on a Tuesday, on a Friday, maybe it's Christmas Day, maybe it's 1492, and I'm recording from the deck of the Santa Maria. Or maybe I'm on a space station deep in the future, looking down on the burning wreckage that is the Earth. That's a cheery thought, isn't it? Let me explain. It's official, ladies and gentlemen. Time travel is a thing. Okay, I might be overstating that a little bit. I just read an article. To be fair, I think I might have read read something similar in the past, but there was an article making the internet rounds today as I'm recording that says these physicists have figured out that mathematically, that mathematically, Time travel is possible. It relates to Einstein's theory of relativity, which I have a vague concept of. Um, I took physics in high school. I have sat down with Stephen Hawking books and uh, Brian Greene books. And uh, they're the kind of books that I, I like to read. I understand them as I'm reading. But then once I put the book down, that knowledge just all evaporates. But basically, mathematically, on paper, they have figured out that you could time travel. And it has to do with, like I said, Einstein's theory of relativity in viewing time not as a straight line, you know, from from moment A to moment B, but as a curvature. You have to think of space and time as a circle, basically. And you could travel along that circle. Hence, you could go back and forth in time. The cool thing, the extra nerdy thing, in their mathematical equations and their graphs and whatnot, the vehicle, quote unquote, that they have traveling through this math equation, they're calling a TARDIS. I just think that's cool as a Doctor Who nerd. Now, they hasten to add that even if you could build a vehicle that could travel along this curved space-time continuum, uh, you would need materials that we just haven't discovered yet. And, you know, beyond that, all of this is theoretical mathematics anyway. So, no, it's probably safe to say that I am not recording this episode in the Old West. However, this episode is going out into the world. It's going to be out there as long as iTunes is our overlord. So, it's possible that one of you out there is listening to this episode from, say, a tent on the Revolutionary War battlefield. Or, you know, while enjoying a sunny afternoon along the banks of the primordial ooze that will become life itself as the earth cools. Or, this is kind of fun. Or, let's say, from inside a burning building as the robots take over the United States. Or, maybe your you're inside a cell because you've been shrunk and you are awaiting the instructions from the medical professionals on how to, from within a human cell, cure cancer, right? You're in your little vehicle, 
your little miniaturized uh, medical vehicle and you're in there, you're going to destroy the cancer from within. You know, who knows? Wherever you're listening to this, thank you for listening. Now, what was I talking about? Uh, I just paused to take a, a sip of my beverage. Like I said, this is Atari Bites After Hours. So I have... Well, it's fake beer, actually. It's non-alcoholic beer, so it's not quite the same. But, you know, it's something to hold in your hand and wet your whistle, as it were. All right. Hey, you know what it's time for? Gonna prove that the world is flat In his rocket ship Or else he'll go splat He's Mad Mike Hughes Mad Mike I have not read any more of the Mad Mike biography, Mad Mike Hughes, the tell-all tale. There apparently is now a video on YouTube called Mad Mike Hughes for Governor. What the heck? That's just wrong. It's Mad Mike in shades. I guess ostensibly singing this song. He's got backup dancers and short. Sorry. He's got backup dancers in short shorts and tight t-shirts. And oh, Mad Mike, you should never dance. He's got his limo there. Says Mad Mike Hughes on the side. Uh, there's some dorky guy dancing behind him now. Uh, wow, this is just wrong in so many ways. Go to YouTube and type Mad Mike Hughes for Governor. And this is what comes up. So far it's got a whopping 47 likes and 12 dislikes. Okay, that's enough of that. Among the comments on Mad Mike's page to this uh, video, says this one. So the donations for the fake launch will fund the campaign. I was actually starting to respect you with the water speed crap, but this is just too much. Uh, the response to that was, hey loser, what fake launch? He did it. Now go back to your boring life. The response to that was, aren't you just a bundle of joy? You lie, bear false witness, accuse. I mean you're a total piece of crap if you don't apologize. Because your opinion means anything to me. So, civil discourse clearly is reigning supreme on the Mad Mike Hughes Facebook page. Someone else wrote, as if quoting Mad Mike, I can't sing or lip sync. And then the producer's uh, supposed response is, let's do a music clip. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I don't know what Mad Mike's getting at here. I don't, I, I'm guessing he's not really running for governor. I think he was just trying to make a political statement about the current state of affairs in his state. But, you know, why not? I've seen weirder things in politics the last few years. Alright, if you live in California and you're going to vote for Mad Mike, let me know. And for God's sakes, explain to me why. Thus concludes this week's statesmanlike political Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. In other news, Bert and Ernie were outed as gay this week. Well, not exactly. Of course, for decades, people have projected onto these 
puppets, Muppets, the idea that Bert and Ernie are a gay couple. This comes up every so often, and then somebody else shoots it down, and then it quiets down for a while. But recently, Mark Saltzman, who was a writer for Sesame Street and wrote for Bert and Ernie in the 80s and 90s, uh, was talking to QWERTY about the characters. Saltzman himself uh, was in a relationship with film editor Arnold Glassman, and he remarked, Saltzman did, that, quote, I remember one time that a column... This was a quote in the uh, Washington Post, by the way. I remember one time that a column from the San Francisco Chronicle, a preschooler in the city, turned to Mom and asked, Are Bert and Ernie lovers? This was the Washington Post quoting Saltzman from QWERTY. Quote, And I always felt that without a huge agenda, when I was writing Bert and Ernie, they were. I didn't have any other way to contextualize them. And that he didn't, quote, know how else to write them but as a loving couple. Sesame Street Workshop, Sesame Workshop, responded quickly and said, No, 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 no. Bert and Ernie are best friends. They were created to teach preschoolers that people can be friends with those who are very different from themselves. Even though they are identified as male and possess many human traits and characteristics, they remain puppets and do not have a sexual orientation. This has got to be a tricky thing for Sesame Street, although not a new thing, as I noted. This comes up every so often. Sesame Street, rightly, wants to be a place where children can see all different kinds of people, all different kinds of lifestyles and... Um, points of view and ideas and concepts, right? So, uh, I, no doubt Sesame Street is not anti-gay by any means, nor, by the way, parenthetically, is Frank Oz. Um, Frank Oz, who performed, was it Bert? He did either Bert or Ernie for years and years and years, uh, among other Muppets, was very tight with Jim Henson. Uh, he remarked on Twitter that he did not think they were gay. He think, he thought they were friends. And he took a huge beating on Twitter for that. I don't care one way or the other. Uh, I, I kind of subscribe to the idea that, uh, dude, they're puppets. And and yeah, they kind of look human. Like all the other Muppets, they either kind of look human, sort of, or like monsters or animals or whatever. And they just kind of exist in their own little universe. And there's not really, there's no puppet sex going on. If you want puppet sex, go to Avenue Q uh, and get that. Those aren't Muppets. Um, the Muppets are just kind of in their own little, especially Sesame Street Muppets, are kind of their own thing. So there you have it, I guess. This week, maybe Bert and Ernie are gay. Or maybe not. Nothing's really been resolved here, but a whole lot of people got riled up about it. And since a lot of us were probably Sesame Street kids, uh, I know I was. I watched it from... As long as far back as I can remember, and I go back not quite to when Sesame Street started as a show, but close, and I never gave it a single thought. So maybe that's a better lesson that it never even occurred to me to wonder. Bert and Ernie were just part of my world. Okay, now that we resolved nothing uh, on that issue, let's move on to this week's game. This week's game is It's Your Dream. To have your own court to play as long as you like in any weather. Now you can with tennis by Activision. A video game you play on your Atari system with all the speed, strategy, and finesse of the real game. So don't just reserve a court. Own one. Tennis by Activision. Tennis from Activision. 1981. 
The manual tells us now you never have to wait for a court again. With Tennis by Activision, you can enjoy the challenge and excitement of tennis right on your home TV. I'm guessing that the uh, wristbands and headbands are optional. The manual says, but before you start, take a minute and read these important instructions. They'll help you to really enjoy all the special features of the game. In no time, you'll be playing like a pro. I'm using the joystick. The left joystick controls the orange player in all games. The right joystick controls the blue player in games 2 and 4. Moving the joystick left moves your player left. Duh. And moving it right moves him right. Push forward or back. Push forward or pull back to move to and from the net. Before you serve, you can only move to the right or left. During game action, you can move in all directions. Press game reset to start uh, the game or start a new set. The orange player begins serving each set. Players will change sides following each odd game. Server is shown with bouncing ball. Use the joystick to position your player and push the red button to serve. The red button is used for serving only. After serving, players will swing automatically if they are in position to return a shot, which is a little disorienting when you first start out, but you get over it quickly. Uh, by the way, game one is you against the computer on full speed. Game two is you, you against a friend at full speed. Game three is you against the computer in slow motion. And game four is you against a friend in slow motion. With the difficulty switches in the B down position, players can hit shots at a wide variety of angles, some of them very sharp. With switches in the A or up position, the widest angle shots are eliminated. Left difficulty affects orange player, right difficulty affects blue player. Set difficulty switches at B or down to start. Note to owners of Sears Telegame Video Arcade System. Difficulty switches are called skill left or right. Player and A up is expert and player down is novice. The scoring works just like real tennis. 15, 30, 40, which is stupid, by the way. Shouldn't it be, if you're going to do that, shouldn't it be 15, 30, 45? Anyway, deuce at 40 all and add in or add out following deuce. The scoring system is so stupid. The first player to win at least six games and be ahead by two games wins the set. If players tie in games at 6-6, the score returns to 0-0, and the first player to go two games ahead wins the set. One bell sounds after each point, three after each game, and six at the end of a set. Each player has his own bell tone. You can serve to any part of the court, and your first serve is always in. Also, you can never hit the ball too long beyond your opponent's baseline or sidelines, or too short into the net. Wait, you can never hit it out? what they're saying? Just like in real tennis, when you're volleying, uh, volleying at the net, you'll notice that your shots don't travel as far as they do when you hit them from the baseline. Also, you'll be able to hit your most sharply angled shots while playing at the net. See diagram of player position. Can everybody see in the back? Okay. I don't get that. You can never hit the ball too long beyond your opponent's baseline or sidelines, or too short into the net. I know the ball went out when I was playing, I'm very confused. Placing your shots. Just as in real tennis, in Tennis by Activision, you can aim and place the ball depending on how you hit it. This frustrated me too, because you don't use the button, you just approach the ball, and if you're close enough to hit it, the computer swings your racket for you. So I had trouble figuring out how you position yourself to make one shot versus another. The angle of your shot is controlled by where you hit the ball on your racket. If you hit the ball in the center of the racket, your shot will go straight forward. The closer you hit the ball to the edge of the racket, the sharper the angle will be in the direction your racket is facing. But you'll need to be careful. It's easy to attempt a sharply angled shot and miss the ball entirely. 
There are a wide variety of angles to hit the ball. Experiment with them and you'll soon be able to pre precisely aim your shots and hit them out of reach of your opponent. Once you understand the game's basics, we suggest you start with game 3 or 4 and play in slow motion for a while. Yeah, I didn't do that. I jumped right into fast pace. Because that's the kind of crazy dude I am. Oh, this is one of my favorite things about the Activision manuals. The personal letter from the game designer. Alan Miller is a senior designer at Activision, a fierce video game competitor. He's the, the designer and undisputed champion of checkers and tennis by Activision. Quote, My Activision tennis, like real tennis, puts a premium, premium on anticipation, reflexes, and conditioning. Really have to stay on your toes, try and anticipate where your opponent's shot will land, and get in position to return. Practice moving quickly to the area where you think your opponent's shot will go. If you can do that, then you'll get a jump on placing your shot out of your opponent's reach. For an extra tough challenge, try to serve and volley against the computer with the difficulty switches set on B. Hit a sharply angled serve off the edge of your racket to either the right or left side, and then move quickly about two-thirds of the way to the net. If you've anticipated properly, you can nail his return with a cross-court volley for a winner, but guess wrong and he's past you. This strategy demands a high level of concentration, razor-sharp reflexes, and lots of practice. But you know the old saying, practice makes perfect. So keep at it. Good luck and have a great game. Drop me a line and let me know how you do. I'd love to hear from you. Alan Miller. Did anyone ever write to Alan Miller when you were a kid playing these games? If you didn't, I'll bet he still resents it. Think about that as you go to bed tonight. And that is how you play Tennis from Activision. Tennis won the award Best Competitive Game and an honorable mention for Best Sports Game at the third annual Archie Awards. The judges commented that tennis is as far removed from the primitive Pong-style game from which it derives as gasoline is from dinosaurs. Specific praise was given to the game's realistic illusion of depth and its competitive aspects which allow for hard-fought contests and glorious comebacks from the brink of defeat and which give more methodical players a chance to taste victory against the kings and queens of hand-eye coordination. In Video Magazine's 1982 Guide to Electronic Games, tennis was characterized by critics as not terribly complicated, but also as one of the very few good sports games for the Atari VCS. Atari Protoss remarked, Remember when our ancestors used to go outside and actually play sports? How far we've come since then. Tennis was one of Activision's first game titles, and although the graphics are fairly simplistic, the gameplay is very well done. Not nearly as mindless as it looks. Programmer Alan Miller was an avid tennis player, so he tried to make the game as realistic as possible, and it shows. Atari released their own version of tennis, Real Sports Tennis, two years after Activision. Amazingly, the games are almost identical, with only minor enhancements in the graphics. Very minor. It's interesting to see how far ahead of most companies Activision was when it came to programming. Activision's tennis was and always will remain one of the most popular sports games on the 2600. So you've all heard the classic cliche line, tennis anyone? But do you know who said it first? No you don't. Don't pretend that you do. Quoteinvestigator.com set out to find the answer to who said tennis anyone first. The question that was posed to them was, before Humphrey Bogart played iconic, tough, and sophisticated characters, he appeared in drawing room comedies on Broadway. Supposedly in his first scene as a young actor, he came striding onto the stage, swinging a racket and saying, Tennis, anyone? The line became a cliché that was parodied by comedians. But recently I read that Bogart never said it. Should you explore this topic? So Quote Investigator says that some theatergoers claim that they heard Bogart deliver the line, but in multiple interviews Bogart... Bogart claimed that he never. Bogart denied that he ever said it. However, there was apparently a 1948 interview with him in the syndicated newspaper column of Hollywood gossip Erskine Johnson, 
in which Bogart himself stated that he used a nearly identical line, Tennis Anybody, earlier in his career. Quote, I used to play juveniles on Broadway, and it came and came... I'm not going to do this in a Bogart voice, if you're wondering, by the way. Quote, I used to play juveniles on Broadway and came bouncing into drawing rooms with a tennis racket under my arm and the line, Tennis Anybody? It was a stage trick to get some of the characters off the set so the plot could continue. Now when they want some characters out of the way, I come in with a gun and bump them off. In 1951, William Sapphire interviewed Bogart and got a slightly different story. He said basically the same thing about this being a device to get characters off the set so that the plot could go on. Uh, the writer couldn't think of any other way of getting excess characters off the stage so the leads can be alone, and that's where I would appear in the doorway. In my flannels, hair slick back, sweater knotted jauntily around my neck, four tennis rackets under my arm, breathing hard as I said my line. It's 40 Love out there. Anyone care to come out and watch? When Sapphire asked him about the specific line at issue, Bogart said, The lines I had were corny enough, but I swear to you, never once did I have to say tennis anyone. The quote investigator goes on to quote some other places where the line has occurred. Somerset Mom did a comic play called The Circle, which has a line about tennis. A 1910 play by George Bernard Shaw called Miss Alliance. In 1942, a version of the line was used in a short story in the New Yorker magazine. However, the writer's intention was not to shift the scene, but to help illustrate the character of the speaker. In 1947, a newspaper article presented the phrase, Tennis Anyone, as an archetypal element in the script of an English high comedy. Alistair Cook again claimed in 1957 that it was Bogart who said it originally. Bartlett's Familiar Quotations, a very famous book for all of us of a certain age who grew up doing book reports or any kind of reports in school, attributed the phrase to Humphrey Bogart. So yeah, basically the conclusion seems to be a version of the line has appeared lots of places. And Bogey, it may or may not have said it. So, as is sort of the theme of this episode of the podcast, we've resolved nothing on this issue. So I think it's time to crawl inelegantly out of this segment of the show. After the break, I read somewhere that even pro tennis players don't fully understand the rules. I had intended to put some sort of witty play on the scoring system, Love 40 and all that, right here. But you know what? The world needs more love, damn it. I should drink less fake beer when I record these things. If I want to play tennis, but I don't have a tennis skirt, is it bad form to wear a kilt? Asking for a friend. Alright, I have started up game one. I am the orange player versus the computer. I have put the difficulty switches on B, which I guess is normal speed. So let's see what happens. Boom. Take that, computer. As with all these games, suck it, computer. As with all these games where the button doesn't really do anything, it's all joystick control, feels a little weird. Yeah, I mean, you use the button to serve, I guess, but then after that, you don't need to keep pressing it. Uh, it's just sort of habit. Alright, time for my second serve. Oh, you think you got me, computer. Oh, you got me, computer. It's 15 all. My serve. Yeah, oh, no. It was out. It was out by a mile. I got robbed. Oh, yeah. 1415 4015 I should say 
Yeah, it was out. What? I got cheated again. So what's it like listening to a tennis match on audio? I keep forgetting I can move my guy up from the uh, the baseline. This, I gotta tell you, I'm enjoying this game way more than I expected to. I should have known. It's Activision. I'm tempted to say they can do no wrong, but of course then uh, somebody will correct me. I got this out, and I was playing it, and I realized, you know, I should probably stop so I can record a podcast. Um, it's just kind of addictive. No way. The sprites look good. The hit detection is good. It's, you know, for the era, it's very realistic. It's kind of like chess last week. You could do the graphics way better now, of course, with technology, but it's good enough. I mean... You know what's going on, and the gameplay is there, even if the characters don't look exactly real. I have no complaints about this game. Alright, one more serve. See, I'm doing it again. I can't pull myself away. Alright, I'll stop. Here, I am metaphorically leaping over the net. Back to you in the studio. Hey everyone, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Do you like Atari? Of course you do. What about the 8-bit computer line? It was one of the best. Well, how about you consider joining Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for Atari's 8-bit computer line. We also review budget games which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about tennis. I really like this game. It's one of those where I'm pleasantly surprised. This is always fun. When I have the game and I'm like, eh. This is the game I'm doing this week. Alright. So I put it in, and I'm like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. I like this game a lot. I could see myself playing it. I look forward to showing it to my erstwhile random co-host, Henry. I think he would like it too. Go get this game. I think I paid like a dollar for it somewhere. It's probably one of those where a lot of you just have it in your collection just to be completist about it. But get out and play it. It's a good time. Alright. Well, let's get on with this week's story, which is not a good time. Uh, not that it's a, an unpleasant story to listen to. I think it is a good story. But I'm just going to warn you now, it takes kind of a dark turn. I don't know if that's the kind of week I was having or what. But yeah, so anyway, here it is. This story is titled, Dead Ball. The theme from The Greatest American Hero pounded it in his brain as high schooler Scott lobbed another tennis ball over the net. Although Brian, age 12, and Scott's student, showed good hustle, despite the weirdly uneven terrain of this court, his wooden tennis racket sliced the air at least a couple of feet short of the ball. The ball bounced again and again and again before coming to rest just above the gaping hole in the chain-link fence that surrounded the Parks and Recs Department crappier set of four public tennis courts. The other set, on the south end of the park, was nearly finished. The asphalt had been laid and the sealant applied. They should be able to move the summer Parks and Rec 
tennis class over there soon. Keep your arms straight, Scott said as Becky, his co-instructor, waltzed into his brain to the tune of She's got Betty Davis eyes. Scott had no idea who Betty Davis was, but Becky was smoking. No doubt if she saw Scott's sweet, sweet form today, then she'd come right over and grab Scott's balls, helpful Sam called to Eddie, pointing to a fresh can on the bench. Scott took a breather. Hot as Becky was, it was tough duty covering for her while she was out sick. He ducked the can of balls and called Brian, Sam, and Eddie over. Heads up, Scott said. We'll try some backhand stuff. The boys dispersed to the other side of the net to wait to rotate in for their turn practicing the backhanded swing. As far as Scott was concerned, the end of summer 1981 could not come soon enough. This time next year, he'd be smoking a J on the college campus, sweet Becky lying in his lap. The fifth ball Scott served, and the fourth one that Brian and Sam missed, landed with a muffled thump and didn't bounce. Let's try that again, Scott said and lobbed another ball. The same thing happened. No bounce. Dead ball, Sam shouted, stating the obvious. Crazy, Scott said. This is a fresh can. He looked at his watch. Time's about up anyway. We'll try again tomorrow. As the other boys packed their gear, really just their rackets and a small bit of change to grab a soda on the way home, Eddie stood quietly on the court trying to get the balls to bounce. Nothing. The boys stopped on the walk home from the park as they always did for a cool drink. The metal bottle caps clattered into the hidden repository of the red Pepsi Cola machine outside the auto body shop as the pleasing fizz of carbonation escaped from their glass cola bottles. Did you see how fast Scott hit that last serve? Brian said before swigging a generous mouthful of cola. That was cool, Sam agreed. Eddie was quiet as he struggled with the cap of his orange soda until it finally came free. The boys continued their walk home from the summer parks and rec tennis lesson, chattering as boys do, Eddie pausing to wipe his glasses on his sweaty t-shirt, which, com- which accomplished nothing. He blinked through the haze of nearsightedness, convinced leaves on a nearby bush curled and fell to the ground as they walked. He must just be imagining things. The boys compared wooden tennis rackets. Brian's was new, but the other two were yard sale finds. The boys worried about nothing more than tennis and cola and sunshine. 1981 was like that. The boys passed the other end of the park. Near the entrance was a steam locomotive, long past its working days. It was nothing more than a rusty piece of dubious playground equipment now. As they walked, though, Eddie's eyes stayed on the train. He couldn't stop watching it until he was well past. He thought he saw something. Someone? Staring back at him from the train's cab. He blinked, shook his head. It must be the heat. The next morning, the boys were running a little late, snarfing glazed donuts as they hurried past the park entrance. The steam whistle on the dead locomotive was deafening to Eddie. Through a mouthful of donut, he called to the nonplussed uh, other boys. Don't you hear that? Hear what? Sam shrugged. Come on, we gotta go. Never mind, Eddie said, trying to ignore the woman standing in the train cab, staring at him. People really shouldn't play on that rusty old thing. At the park today, Scott seemed really, really annoyed. They were getting to play on the new court, but Becky was still gone. Whatever she's got, Brian said. I hope I don't get it. This did not help Scott's mood. The new courts were a crisp evergreen and scuff-free. The nets were tear-free and didn't sag, but still. On every serve, the ball landed dully as if sinking in mud. The asphalt, too, felt dead and seemed to pull at Eddie's feet as he walked. He could almost hear the wet sucking of liquid asphalt, even though the court was perfectly dry. 
After several lame sets, if the boys were frustrated, Scott was positively apoplectic. Hey, Scott, Sam said. Should we go back to the old court? Scott wiped the sweat from his forehead. Yeah, he said slowly. Then, no, let's just play. He lobbed a ball to Brian, and Brian volleyed it back. Scott tried to run up to the net to return the volley and tripped over his own feet. As he stood, a man in rolled-up shirt sleeves and a tie approached with another man in a bushy mustache and police uniform. The boys couldn't hear what they were talking about, but the men were there for a few minutes, and then finally Scott sank to his knees, and the officer cuffed Scott and led him away to a police car. What the hell? Brian said. You mean what the heck? Sam said. Shut up, Brian said. Eddie just nodded slowly. The man in the rolled-up sleeves was named Jensen and turned out to be from the parks department. He told the kids the tennis lessons were canceled. Scott was being arrested. Why? Sam asked. Well, he just confessed to something very serious, Jensen said. Sam and Brian were intrigued. Eddie just shook his head. He killed Becky Locomote, Jensen said. Eddie nodded to that, sadly. Our other instructor? Holy shit, Brian said. You mean holy crap, Sam corrected. Shut up, Brian said. Locomote sounds like locomotive. Eddie muttered, thinking the rusty eyesore on the other end of the park and the shadowy woman who had waved at him. Then louder he said, She's buried under the tennis court, barely believing what he had just said. What? The two boys and Jensen said. How do you know that? Brian demanded. Eddie took an unopened can of tennis balls from his bag, popped the top with a and chucked a ball at the asphalt as hard as he could. The ball not only didn't bounce, it flattened itself against the ground. He repeated this again and again with the other two balls from the can. The boys were amazed. Eddie shrugged. Dead ball, he said. Not all psychics read minds. After that, two things happened. One, the train at the park entrance was free of ghostly engineers, and a safety fence was erected around the tetanus playground. And two, the boys switched to karate lessons. The end. This is me recording audio of tennis. Donk. 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 Damn it. Donk. Donk. Damn it. Donk. 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 Donk, donk, donk. Damn it. Damn it. And that's our show. Thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks also to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes update theme. You can find Atari Bytes all over the podcatching landscape, but remember to serve up a forehand smash of a review on iTunes Apple Podcasts so that other listeners can volley some episodes. No backhand compliments, please. You can also support our show financially at the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Thanks in advance. Our website is ataribytes.libson.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the Atari Bytes Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at Atari Bytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And don't forget to check out my occasional weirdness on Instagram. Also, while you're not forgetting things, don't forget to check out my other show, It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown. 
where on the 15th of every month you get your fill of Peanuts knowledge. Charlie Brown, Snoopy, Lucy, the whole Peanuts gang, the merchandise, the TV shows, the movies, the strips, of course, and the very mind of Charles Schultz. It's all fair game in Peanuts Town every single month on the 15th. You love Peanuts. You know you do. You know you have friends who love Snoopy and the rest. So go listen to this show. You will not regret it. In the meantime, next time on Atari Bites. Luck be a lady tonight, because we're hitting the casinos, baby. We're going to play Blackjack. I've already got a bookie. I'm pretty sure I'm feeling good about this. I don't have to worry about betting the house, do I? Now it'll be fine. Eh, hypothetically, can I come stay with you? Ah, we'll discuss that later. Until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.